welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we continue our study with Deuteronomy chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because Yahweh's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner? You may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you, for Yahweh will bless you in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, if only you will strictly obey the voice of Yahweh your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For Yahweh your God will bless you as he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, and you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within, within your land that Yahweh your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, The seventh year, the year of release is near. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry to Yahweh against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this Yahweh your God will bless you in all your work, and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land, Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As Yahweh your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this day. But if he says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you and your household, since he is well off with you, then you shall take an owl and put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave, you shall do the same. It shall not seem hard to you when you let him go free from you, for at half the cost of a hired worker he has served you six years. So Yahweh your God will bless you in all that you do. All the firstborn males that are born of your herd and flock you shall dedicate to Yahweh your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You shall eat it, you and your household, before Yahweh your God, year by year at the place that Yahweh will choose. But if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind, or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to Yahweh your God. You shall eat it within your towns. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it, as though it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So our text today is about the Sabbath year. That might be a reference that a lot of Christians are unfamiliar with today. It's not one we talk about all that often. We talk about the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We talk about that one quite frequently, as it's one of the Ten Commandments. But the Sabbath extends beyond that. There's the Sabbath day, there's the Sabbath year, and then there's a Sabbath of years. The Sabbath, Sabbath, it's the Jubilee year. So every seventh year is to be a Sabbath. You are to let your land rest. And then every ends up being the 50th year, is the year of Jubilee, which is an even greater restoration than what we just had described here in the text for us now. So in this picture, every seven years is a year of Sabbath, release. And this chapter is not going to focus a whole lot on rest for the land, although that is one of the parts of this. The idea of the Sabbath rest for a year is that you trust in the Lord and in his provision, rather than seeking to be able to always think we provide for ourselves. Can we trust that if we take a year of work off, God will still provide? And that hits the American ear hard, right? Which American wants to hear, okay, well, which American wants to believe that phrase to be true? Many of us would like to hear it and say, oh yeah, I'd love a year off. But the actual idea that if we did it, it would be okay. And this is how God commanded his Old Testament people to live. And in fact, in Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21, we learn that this is the very reason why Israel, well, more specifically Judah's exile in Babylon that began in 587 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, it's why it lasts 70 years. Those are all the years that the people of God failed to give the rest to the land that they were supposed to give. And so the land, while the Jews are in exile, the land gets its rest, finally. So this chapter is going to focus more on the people than it does the land. So we start out with the idea of lending. If you lend money, or if you lend property, or a belonging to somebody else, in the seventh year, forget it. Let it go. Wipe the debt. That probably also strikes the American ear as something very hard to hear. We are used to a system of debts and loans, of interest rates and so forth. Wipe it out. It's gone. Now, they can hold these things against people who are not the Lord's people, but Within Israel, because they are a holy people, holy to Yahweh their God, they are not to do this thing. They are to treat one another differently than they treat the world. Verse 4 promises that there will be no poor among them. Why? For Yahweh will bless you in the land Yahweh your God is giving you. If only, verse 5. You will strictly obey the voice of Yahweh your God. And they don't. And so they have poor. And in fact, the Lord notices it, he knows it, and he says it before this even begins. Verse 7, if among you one of your brothers should become poor. So here's a, 
There's a softening. You're not going to have any poor if only you keep God's commands. But in case you don't, you'll have poor. Here's what you do. And then verse 11, there will never cease to be poor in the land. The Lord knows the sinfulness of his people. He knows their wicked rebellion against him. He knows that they will not keep his command and his law. He knows they will not live in that land forever. Come the Gospels, Matthew 26, 11, Mark 14, 7, John 12, 8. Jesus there will end up saying, The poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. As the disciples get mad about how an extravagant gift was wasted, poured out upon his head and his feet. So, keep the command, God will bless you. He will make it so that you can lend to many nations, so that they will be so wealthy that the nations around them will be in need and they can give. And they will be so wealthy that they will never have to borrow. They are going to be placed as a king of nations. They will rule over others, but not be ruled over. Sounds terrific, doesn't it? But again, the Lord knows their weakness. He knows their sinfulness. He knows this will not come to pass. And so he gives them instruction on what to do. If your brother is poor, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against him. Open your hand. Lend to him for his need, whatever it may be. Generosity. And the New Testament will... It doesn't quite say generosity is the mark of the Christian, but it's on the list of things that are attributed to Christians. Generosity and hospitality both make such lists. Second Corinthians 9, verse 11, 13, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18 are a couple of those New Testament places you can go and find generosity described as, again, part of the life of the Christian, part of who we are. Do not let an unworthy thought be in your heart. Do not look with grudge against your brother. Note this, the seventh year, the year of release is near. So my brother's poor, but if I give to him today, he won't have to give it back. That's a wicked thought. Give. If your brother's in need, give. Think not twice of it. Give. Meet his need, whatever is sufficient. Note that word in verse 8. Otherwise, your brother will cry out to Yahweh against you, and you will be guilty of sin. You will have wronged him. And this gets to the judgment scene in Matthew 25 of the sheep and the goats, that Jesus is able to say that whatever you do for one of the least of these, you have done for me. Feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, the naked, visiting the sick and those in prison, so forth. Again, God knows there will always be poor among them because sin is a nasty beast and it doesn't go away. At least not until Christ returns. Verse 12 gets a little more specific. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, sold to you, so there is slavery in Israel and there's even slavery of Israelites in Israel. He shall serve you six years and in the seventh year you shall let him go free. When you let him go free, do not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As Yahweh has blessed you, you shall give 
to him. A lot going on in this, truly. The picture here is that you have your land, your neighbor has his land. It's been allotted to you since the time that you entered the promised land back in 1406 BC. The land was divided among your tribes, among your families. This is your land, but you've fallen on hard times. You cannot provide for yourself. Left on your own devices, you're likely to end up dead of starvation. Your family, gone. What can you do? I mean, you could go to town and sit on a street corner and just, you know, hold out a hat and hope people toss money in, I guess, begging. But the typical practice kind of described here for Old Testament Israel is that you would sell yourself to your neighbor. And basically what that would look like is, I hit hard times. Jim, will you, will you take me in? I'll work for you. I'll help you with, the, with your land, with your animals, your livestock. And in exchange, uh, Jim, will you f- put food in my stomach? Will you put a roof over my head, clothes on my back? Will you help make sure I live to see next year? That's the exchange. And so he lives in your house. He cares for you. He provides for you. And when you leave, because you leave, you're meant to go back to your own land, the land of your family's inheritance. The, the owner, the master, is to give liberally to him. Not stingily, not with a closed fist. Again, open your hand. Of your flock, so you could talk about that as livestock that are still living, perhaps, to help him get back on his feet, or it's meat that he can eat. Threshing floor, so now we're talking grain. So again, seed, possibly to plant, or grain that he can make food from. And wine press. So if it's already pressed wine, then it's wine. But if it's grapes gathered in, well, you might be able to pull seeds from that yet and plant a vineyard. So different ways to provide for your neighbor, but provide for him liberally generously. Give, 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 give. That's the picture at hand here. Now, how do we care for the poor today? And which way seems better? Might be a fun family conversation to have. Today, oftentimes the poor are out of sight, out of mind. We see those who are homeless on street corners when we drive through urban areas. And oftentimes we have the grudging thoughts. Maybe not the release is near, but do they really need it? Or are they a crook? Or are they going to use it on drugs and alcohol and cigarettes? And we, we ponder these things. Sometimes we give, sometimes we don't. But at the end of the day, how many people are still poor among us? At the end of the day, how often do we offer up our generosity and our hospitality to our neighbor? I'm going to offer that there was something good about God's law. That shouldn't be too shocking to hear. God is good. His law is good. He was seeking to provide care for those who otherwise would not have had it. And then verse 15 follows this conversation about being generous and caring for the one in need. 
you shall remember you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this day. This is both the gospel, but it's also law here. This is the gospel. It's the good news of what God has done for them in the Old Testament, how he has rescued and redeemed them from their time as slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh and his harsh taskmasters. But this is also a law. It's a warning. And you can pull that out with your kids. What did God do to those wicked masters of Egypt? Get them to remember and retell the account of Israel and Egypt and how the Lord brought the ten plagues to rescue his people. If they will be faithful masters, the Lord will continue to bless them. But if they are masters like Pharaoh and his, the Lord will treat them the same. We even see this spoken this way in the New Testament by Paul. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. The Lord does not care how great you are in this earth. He will judge you based on, well, what you have done. Unless you're in Christ, in which case we're all forgiven. Thanks be to God, we're judged by what Jesus did, not by our own works. But it's a warning there from Paul in Ephesians 6 verse 9 specifically that basically as you treat that servant, the Lord is your master. You're, at, you're inviting him to treat you the same. So if you want God to be generous to you, maybe you should treat your servants well and be generous to them. And it's the same kind of a picture that we're seeing here also in the Old Testament. Now do note uh, that some of these slaves will actually want to stay. There is a way that that is made to happen so they don't go free in year seven. Take a, what we call today probably a scratch owl, A-W-L, owl. Um, it's basically like a little screwdriver, but instead of having a Phillips or a flathead, it's got a little point. It, it's used for poking holes, piercing things. And this is going to be just kind of jabbed through an ear, tapped, pounded in, into the woodwork, into the frame of the door itself. You are binding them to the home, and they will be forever part of that household. They've joined the house. But for those that go free, it won't be hard. You had the benefit of a, a laborer at cheaper cost. The hired worker, you'd had to do lodging and a paycheck, these you just had to do lodging. Bless them, because the Lord is blessing you. That's the picture of the text here. We get the the note about the firstborn at the end of the passage. Uh, basically, firstborn animals were to be offered to the Lord. Here again, just like the tithe, we see they're allowed to eat of it. Don't work the animal. Don't shear them for their wool, which you can then sell. You will have others. The firstborn is an offering to God. In trust that he will provide more. 
just like the Sabbath, just like the tithe, all of these things are about trusting God to provide. Now, if it is blemished, if it is not good, don't offer it. Don't take a, a crippled sheep that is of no use to you anyway and say that that is a sacrifice to God. It is not a sacrifice at all. You're probably going to put it to sleep anyway. Put it out of its misery. Sacrifice things that are of, of worth, of value. And again, the firstborn shows trust. And a reminder from Deuteronomy 12, that as you eat an animal, you are not to eat its blood, but to return its blood to the earth. <laughs>